Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 449 on Tuesday, the 18th of January, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we're wondering just how much claptrap we're expected to accept from all our politicians. We are not shocked at the news from Bollinger. And we watch a host of beautiful, stunning Italian designs. This week, there is no follow-up. You will be pleased to hear. So we are straight into the new news. And we start with the fact that there are going to be no new smart motorways for five years while the government and Highways England collate data on the use and safety stats of the existing smart motorways and the ones that are currently being built that will be finished in that time. Mm -hmm. This follows a campaign from many organisations and people who, uh, particularly people who've been affected directly by incidents on smart motorways that have uh, unfortunately led to a number of deaths. And uh, the government has listened to the advice from the Transport uh, Select Committee. Gosh, that's not like them. There is just quite an interesting thing here, by the way, which was obviously this news, different groups really quite being quite positive in response to this. The AA have said it was positive, pragmatic progress. It's wonderful alliteration there. Well done to the AA press office, which welcomed the move to introduce more refuge areas. And says in this autocar article that's linked in the show notes, uh, it also noticed that the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, has agreed to investigate one of its own proposals from 2017, an emergency corridor to allow ambulances, fire engines and police cars to quickly make their way through jams in the absence of a permanent hard shoulder. Curious that that should come in there. And then when such a large update to the Highway Code, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, would have allowed them to put that in there. It seems an eminently sensible thing to have introduced into the Highway Code at this point, when there's so many other changes anyway. Yep, absolutely. Uh, however, uh, one of the other things that comes in this article is uh, they're going to, the government are going to make it easier for motorists to understand smart motorways. And I don't quite understand how much easier than a five-foot massive sign that says, do not go in this lane that can get. Now, yeah. let's let's be clear, as we are every time with this this news story, there are issues with smart motorways. There are not enough refuge points. It is obviously impossible if you are a person with limited mobility to get away from the vehicle and over mm. Arncos, stuff like that. They have acknowledged that, so they are putting in more refuge areas. However, I'm looking forward to Everybody who is kicked off about this doing the same thing about your carriageways, regular motorways, A roads and B roads, because they do not have any of these things that you've been kicking off about. There is a certain amount of that. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of dislike in smart. Okay, so they, they could have been done better, but I think there's a lot of dislike of smart motorways. One, because it's fun to jump on a bandwagon these days, nobody's doing it. And two, because it's change and, and change is difficult and, uh, difficult and hard. Yeah, it always is. Next up in the first half of the show, which is going to be a barrel of fun, as you can probably imagine. I'm trying um, very hard not to swear tonight. Yes, you're, you're <laughs> mainly because I have to edit it. On there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next one, Treasury. They are facing now. This is a projected. Okay, so they're they're saying that in 2028, they're projecting that the Treasury's take from the fuel duty income will be 11.4 billion pounds 
in 2019 at its peak, obviously pre-COVID. I've lost track yes. of when COVID pre-COVID. started. That is pre-COVID, isn't it? Then it was £16.4 million. Obviously, in the time since then, many people have been driving less. I know that I have been. And also, there's been a significant shift towards uh, electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And vehicles that don't have to pay fuel duty for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth pointing out that this five billion pound decline is going to have to be made up somehow. And let's not forget that come twenty thirty, it really rockets. Well, yes, yeah, all new vehicles. So all new vehicles won't be. That doesn't really mean that's not good English, is it? But no new vehicles will have to pay fuel duty because the the government who keep on bringing the date forward themselves. EVs don't pay fuel duty. It's that simple. So, so the the government are actually hastening that decline. So, obviously, at the same time, they've got to start thinking of other ways to raise money for the the treasury because that's what they do. Yep. Realistically, what are their options? Their options really are going to be it's paper mile. It's really the only option that's there. It's the only. It's the only vaguely reasonable one what else can you do otherwise you go straight back to a flat fee as it was before or you can do it by weight but it would involve introducing some kind of taxation onto well oh no the other one is vat on home use of electricity for charging that's the other one Mm. i know in france they've recently introduced a tax on weight haven't they Mm. which i actually think it makes a lot of sense it pushes people towards smaller lighter vehicles yeah but it's easy money at the minute when they're pushing for evs to get them mm. below what is it 1800 kilos yeah you get what what's that the citronami that's about it isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? no well no that's a bit harsh but yeah but but your, your point stands your point st- definitely stands because any of the larger the, the larger SUV style ones, they're going to be... Well, they're, they're hammered because everybody everybody's... Hammered is the word, yes. Every, everybody is desperate for range. And the mm. only way to do range at the moment is to put masses of batteries. Yeah, exactly. You, you either get range and space or you get range. Uh, you know, range and space means batteries. And if you want range and little batteries, then you have to compromise on space. Mm-hmm. And you know what people are like. Everybody buys for the the one big journey of the year. Yeah. It's a tough one, that. I think weight-based makes a lot of sense, but I think that the holy grail to gather everyone in is going to be per mile. Yeah. That's what they're going to say. Look, just everyone per mile, and they'll introduce that. It doesn't matter if you're internal combustion or if you're EV. You'll, it'll still, there'll be a, 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 everyone pays a crossover. Everyone pays at that point, but, but everyone pays at that point. But don't expect them to be dropping the fuel duty that much, by the way doesn't mean that there'll be the end of road fund license or whatever it's called this week yeah Sadiq Khan is looking to introduce some form of road pricing proposal that's really where we were going with this wasn't it yeah that's that that is our next story but we're a little bit confused yes because this is a BBC News article which is linked as all the others are in the show notes and he discusses that he may need to charge a daily fee of up to £2 for all but the cleanest vehicles to help hit climate change targets. Now, where we're confused is it is mentioned that this could get rid of the ULEZ and the congestion charge. We don't understand, really, with our limited maths, how £2 is better than £15. 
Or the twenty something it adds up to if you take an older vehicle into London yeah. and have to pay both. Yeah. Yeah. It seems strange. We don't really understand. Maybe the story will be made clearer. So I, I, I don't know. There's talk about charging people who want to come into Greater London, so possibly it is by extending it even further than it is now. <laughs> well, that's what's most likely, really. But there's, there's, obviously, feels uh, jealous that Greater Manchester's covering a bigger area. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's probably something as silly as that. It's saying that one big new idea is a clean air charge, where if you don't have a clean vehicle, you'll pay a small fee, probably about the same as a bus fare, to drive anywhere in London. But you've got that. Is that not what the ULEZ is? The thing is, you've got more than that. Yeah. That's what I don't understand. It's not that you've got that. That's fine. All right. Make the transition across. But you've got more than that right now. It's much simpler to, to police. I, I don't understand the benefit to London of, of this. We understand why London has to raise more money than perhaps other areas. And we understand the need for clean air. And we need... Oh, oh ab, yes. Yeah. We, we say that every single time. Absolutely. I, I just... It seems odd. We're not saying it's better or worse. It just seems odd. Yeah. I, I, hopefully more details will come out in the, in the next week and we can do some follow-up and explain this. But at the minute, mm. the only place that's really talking about this is the BBC News website, and they haven't gone into too much detail. No. No, no. Well, they don't tend to in these cases. No. Next up. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's continuing our, our little run of fun. We promise this will be over shortly. Uh, the... <laughs> For our own sake. <laughs> yes, our own sanity, really. A breakdown caused by potholes has hit a three-year high. Now, given the last two years, people haven't really gone anywhere. It's not a massive surprise. New RAC data shows that its breakdown patrols attended 27 pothole-related incidents every day throughout 2021. That adds up to more than 10,000 pothole-related breakdowns. 27 a day. 27 a day. That's across outrageous. the country. Not, not just one person. Uh, and that data was released for National Pothole Day 2022. But again, you know, talking of stuff we always say, if you do not invest in the infrastructure, what can you expect? I'd just like to congratulate John Redfern, by the way, on some of these subheadings in here. Like, uh, <laughs> pothole problems sink further. Rotting roads. I mean, this is good quality stuff. It so is. Well done, Motor Research. Yes. <laughs> But uh, it is interesting to see what uh, the RAC are saying about this. Their head of roads policy, Nicholas Lies, was saying that it is basically astonishing the amount of money that road users actually hand over to the government, and we are not provided with a fit-for-use yeah. infrastructure. Uh, and it just... It, it, if, you, if you don't spend the money to get it at least workable and... Mm safe because the the if we tied up the money that they the councils are having to pay on mm. uh, you know uh, compensation for repairs and all this sort of stuff on people let alone how much it costs them to keep fixing the same holes yeah. i am sure that there is an imbalance that is never acknowledged or seen at a higher level yeah here in north north northamptonshire council here it's our new unitary authority you know they have sort of ninja pothole teams I mean, they are. They sort of just show up and fix stuff. And they do an all right job. I, admittedly, I was wondering what the noise was at half past 11 one night. But what it means is they're very good at fixing the potholes. But, of course, where there's wider areas and the roads around here get completely trashed by trucks. Mm. 
scrubbing around small roundabouts and stuff. But whereas wider areas, they can't fix those because they, they can only fix the little ones. And you have to come back to the little ones again and again. They seem to have done an all right job. Okay, maybe we're unlucky. Can they teach my lot? <laughs> I don't know. This this is a new initiative uh, to try and tackle some of this, actually. Okay. Um, so they seem to have done a decent job on that. But the trouble is that you get, and then you get these these long bits, which they just can't fix, and where areas that need resurfaced. And so you've got to sort of pot, triple over these, and then you've got all the filled potholes, which are all right, to be honest, and better than they were. And then you've got the next area of road, which really needs fully resurfaced. It's all a bit tricky, that one, for the for the councils. Because, of course, the trouble is that this money has to trickle down. It can't just be diverted straight from central. It has to go through about four layers of of regional and local government to actually but get to a road. Let's not forget the last budget. Central announced how they were cutting it. They pretended they weren't, but they yes. were cutting oh, it. Oh, no, no. They, they said they announced what sounded like a very large number, but that was actually a smaller large number than it had been previously. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. So. Right. Come on. Next oh, well, bit. yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. To round out, hopefully, round out our disquiet, shall we say, with our political leaders of all varieties. Intro of misery. There's news from the Scottish Transport Minister, Graham Day, who has published a, and I don't think there's any irony in this, roadmap Bleeding heck. to cut car use by a fifth by 2030. They are apparently, and I am air quoting here heavily, shifting up a gear. Mm-hmm. in reducing the 20% or reducing by 20% the use of cars. <sighs> this this will is a bit of a theme that is coming in more and more from all governments. Yes, well it is and it's you know there's COP26 and and, and holding it in Glasgow meant that that meant that the the Scottish government made many many pledges. Yeah. You see uh which it now has to try and work out how to do that especially when you know so much of Scotland is so rural. No, I, I thought it was all perfectly lovely. Everybody virtually had a bus each, didn't they? Especially uh, yeah, in the, that's that's the one. Spe- especially yeah. up, you know, St- way way beyond where we went. <laughs> Stagecoach are good at that kind of thing. Yes, in fact, you do almost have a bus each, but that's because nobody can use them because they run at such ridiculous times. The promoted sustainable travel is under four broad headings, which include mm. now try not to spit out your breakfast or your anger or whatever these are the things that the transport minister of scotland is saying will help reduce by 20 percent. so i'm expecting punchy actionable items Mm, smart travel less stay local switch mode combine journeys okay that's good those are our smart objectives good yes right Let's move on, shall we? Uh, Renault and the Renault Group. They have had three consecutive years of declining sales. Now, obviously, we understand two of those. Where just everyone has had, you know, pretty much everyone has had some form of de- declining declining sales, declining registrations. Uh, Renault Group sales dropped by 4.5% in 2021, which overall isn't too awful. Uh, but it was a third consecutive year of decline. Obviously, the big problem that they have, big problems they have are pandemic impacts, one, and obviously inventory shortages. Mm. In 2021, they did sell just 2.7 million cars, but said that its European order backlog has doubled. So they actually have more than three months of sales worth of back order. 
which of course they, they can't realize and they can't can't build because of the inventory shortages. They are claiming, and this always worries me, a value over volume strategy. But they said that they put that in place. That's never be- gone wrong before, Alan, for anyone. Before the, the uh, inventory. Uh, Can't think of anyone in the recent past where it's absolutely no. gone Pete Tong for them. <laughs> R- Rover absolutely didn't say that, for no. example. No. 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 Which is always the one that's in, in my mind. The, they're also bringing in new models this year. There's a new Megane, E-Tech Electric, and the Austral models, which are are coming through uh, in the C segment. So they're looking to to actually sort of try and win back some market share uh, with with those. But I'm not su- I'm not surprised here. Sorry, before you you go on to say some slight positives here. Yes, I'm not bothered su- with that. Yeah. I'm not surprised at this with Renault. For, you know, forgetting the whole the global situation, because you look the- at Nissan and you look how poorly Nissan have done. And those two have been so busy fighting each other for daft reasons that eyes have been taken off the ball. I think, yes. Yes, far more so at Nissan. I think Mm. that Renault suffers the same issue as Ford and of Vauxhall and Opel in that it's not a premium brand. Mm. It's not a budget brand. It's somewhere in the middle. And the budget brand, so hence, you know, Dacia is is doing well. It, mm-hmm. It's probably taking some sales from the, the Renault brand mm-hmm. as opposed to Renault Group. Uh, and it's doing well there, but there's no, you know, so the premium brands do well as well because they're premium and everybody wants into them and PCPs, et cetera, et cetera. But these ones in the middle ground are really, really losing market share. I mean, just look at Ford last year down by, what was it, 30 20 to 30% from memory. Uh, yeah, they they could somewhere. see the writing on the wall, which is why they prioritized uh, uh, like Car- commercials anyway. And yes, they had exactly. the ability to do that, whereas yeah. Renault, Renault don't do. as much. No, um, I, I think they do, actually. Because, of course, remember that they've got the, the, the traffic, the master, the Kangoo. Uh, they can focus so on that. Those. That obviously does better in Europe than... Yes, Yes, because of the changes and the the Stellantis change to Vauxhall Opel and stuff. So they they were doing very well over here with many of those, but now not as many bad shared versions are sold here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it it does very, they do very well across Europe as well. Mm. Really worth mentioning that Alpine sales up 74%, by the way, uh, increased 117% in France and 92% in the UK. Lots of really good news there. I'm I'm delighted because this is a f- well universally loved sports car. If you'd read the reviews, mm. <laughs> I I adored the the one I tried. Mm-hmm. So there is some good news there. Uh, Lada, by the way, also up zero point three percent. It still has twenty one percent market share of the Russian market. Well, considering how well. pants the Russian market has been, and I've only seen sort of high level numbers. But the Russian market's been pants. That's brilliant. Well, so 21% market share and 385,208 uh, cars sold. So not a big market, really, for new cars. Not for no. new, new ones, anyway. Right. Anyway, uh, one other Renault announcement, though, before we move on. Yeah, and this is the news that Renault will be all electric in Europe by 2030. They are the latest company to announce such a move. 
no real surprise on the 2030. What is to note, though, is that Dacia will only move over to being all electric when it works, because well, they have to maintain, they are trying to maintain in the Renault group that they are uh, of the price point they are now. So the technology and the cost need to advance that that is able to happen. So if mm. it can't happen, Renault are, are upfront about this. They will not move Dacia to EV only and then suddenly start charging people lots of money. But they can't anyway, because remember, that is all electric in Europe by 2030. Renault still has quite significant, uh, you know, it's quite significant in Latin America. It's got market share there in North Africa. Etc. 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 So yeah, we're only talking Europe. So you know, we are only so talking. All Europe, electric yeah. is only is only Europe. So Dacia, for example, will have to continue uh, making uh, internal combustion engine. Well, cars. Renault will still do that. Probably. Renault will still do that. Well, uh, because they sell in yeah. Africa and they sell in. Well, they Latin do, but very America. often they sell Dacia's rebranded as, as as Renault's. So I've seen Dacia, of course, Dacia, yeah. Dacia Duster in 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 Texas of all places. Where it was a Renault Duster, uh, and it was Mexican, and it was on Mexican plates. Mm. So you know that, that that's the example that's prime in my mind when I when I say that. Okay, right. Should we do some um, continues a slightly more positive? Yes, positive news is now. <laughs> I've been trying to be positive all the way through, but it's been awfully difficult so far. But there's an announcement from the French Waste Management Group. Uh, it's one of these sort of big French companies that nobody ever heard, hears of that does absolutely everything. So it's waste management, logistics, all these kind of things. Veolia. You will have seen the name. Uh, they run trains. They, Well, they did run trains. I can't remember if they still do. But also lots and lots of waste management here in the UK. They are looking to, well, they are going to open a site. It's not even they're looking to. They are going to open a site in uh, Minworth in the West Midlands. And they are aiming to be able to process 20% of the UK's end-of-life EV batteries by 2024. They reckon that by 2030, what they're terming urban mining, which is kind of a cool term, really, for taking stuff back out of things that are in our, in our cities and on our roads, by 2030, urban mining will recycle 90% of EV battery metals, and that's lithium, copper, aluminium, cobalt, cobalt nickel, etc that's pretty cool yeah they're saying if you want an idea of, of weights and volumes that's three hundred and fifty thousand tons i don't know what that is in blue whales or london buses in the uk by 2040 so so they're really trying to get started on having the system to be able to to do that i mean this is the future of industry it, isn't it, it? Is. is the recycling bit is the yeah. how many times can we use these same materials these same minerals these same chemicals over and over again safely and they still give us what we need maybe sometimes mm. the stuff is reduced because you you know you're going through many life cycles of There's it going to be some loss but yeah but maybe they are put into different products that don't require the same but the thing is it started with i always think of recycled paper in these things do you remember when recycled paper was new relatively yes. new thing you can still see little we bits of print and stuff and it was it was like really sort of it looked used it looked it was not a premium thing it was not nearly as good now vast majority of the bulk of all of our uh, uh, in in paper products is is recycled mm. there's a lot of recycled paper we don't notice any difference it's just what we're used to there's definitely no degradation in quality i would expect that kind of thing to be coming along and happening as well 
Yeah. One of the things it's important to know, it's not just those sort of rare minerals, uh, rare metals that I was talking about there. Supposedly, for every one ton of lithium extracted new and fresh from the earth, it takes 50,000, no, not even 50, 10 times that, 500,000 gallons of water in that extraction process. So if we can avoid that, one recycled ton uh, of lithium, sure, it's still going to use some water to do it, but it's not going to use 500,000 gallons. Mm. And tell you that straight off there are a lot of knock-on effects not just not having to dig a big hole in the ground under some jungle but the sort of knock-on effects of that so this is a really good thing we want more and more initiatives like this please but he's talking about all these gigafactory this and gigafactory that and gigafactory the next thing but you've got to have the raw materials for all of these hmm. and so this is a way of having the raw materials there and being able to have a sustainable supply of those raw materials yeah we, we yeah we're desperate we've pretty much everybody is very aware of secure supply chains now so They're far more aware than they have been you know it, it's we just talked about Renault. we just talked about you know last week we talked about the 2021 registration figures and they're way down not because people don't want to go out and buy new cars mm. because they're just simply flipping can't because of the supply chain breakdown yeah anyway moving swiftly on shell yeah more positivity Oh, Yay. sorry, actually. That was oh, good. and and negativity That's, as well. Yes, in the one that story. wasn't intended to be a pun, and I'm very sorry. But Shell has opened their first EV charging hub in London. It's actually in Fulham, and they have repurposed a previous normal petrol forecourt, which must have cost a fortune. Yeah, get we were talking about tanks. this before the show because to, you, they will have had to get rid of the tanks because of all the cabling and the risk of explosions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And to do that is incredibly expensive, and they will be paying for that for some time because they will still be monitoring of the of the ground and the air quality and all that sort of stuff. So this is not a light undertaking by Shell to have done this. And I think they've produced a really nice-looking environment. They've got nice wood-panelled uh, canopies. Look at that, canopies over an EV charging port. I know. What luxury is this to not get soaky wet? I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, but obviously, they've tied it in with shops and stuff like that down the uh, the far end of it. But this is how it's going to be in the future, is there's going to be charging place hubs with something to go and do until we're at the point where it's a five-minute charge for mm -hmm. 80%. Yeah. Well, they're, they're reckoning uh, that the 175-kilowatt chargers should be able to fill most vehicles' batteries from 0 to 80% in around 10 minutes. I think that's a little bit hopeful, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But yeah, let, let's have that as a target, though, because that means you plug in, you wander in, you grab your dinner from the Waitrose, you stand in the queue, grab a, uh, a coffee from the Costa, um, wander back to your car, think about whether or not that was a good use of your time, and then, then you should be pretty much charged, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what happens. Goodness knows, we've charged enough EVs together, and by the time you've wandered into the service station, you've been for a wee. And yeah, I mean, if it's 10, 20 minutes, then you, you just come out and you're, you're on your way and you're not actually hanging about. It's, mm. Mm. It was great. I used the 150-kilowatt charger around here. You, you heard, oh, no, that's not been out. That's not out yet, is it? There's a special edition, which you've not heard yet. <laughs> yes, and it was, by the time I'd been in, wandered around Marks and Spencers and got some, got some food and came back out again, my car was pretty much charged. Good. Mm -hmm. How it should be. Yep. Right, do you want to take us to the least surprising news of the week? 
Well, it's not that the, the Tesla Cybertruck has been pushed back beyond 2022, but it is related. <laughs> it's that Bollinger, not the champagne company. Really not. <laughs> really not. No, I know. It's, the, it's like the anti-champagne. Uh, has put, or, or sparkling wine, depending on where it's from, has put its B1 and B2 pickup truck and SUV square thing uh, on ice, it says, to focus on commercial EVs. I think we've started to notice that this is a theme with new EV companies. They seem to really be focusing on commercial rather than trying to break straight into the passenger or even the light commercial market. They first showed it in 2019. It is the one that is very, very square, by the way. Yes, think of it being drawn using only a ruler and a pen. Mm, and that includes the wheels. Yeah, almost, yeah. <laughs> so they, they talked about it a lot. I think they've shown some development ones, but really they're going to start focusing on on the goods vehicles vehicles instead. That means that as far as I can tell, only Rivian really are going to be are looking to be successful with of the startups, only Rivian are looking to be successful in this sort of space. Obviously, as well as that, you've got cars, you've got trucks like the F one fifty Lightning, which is the the electric pickup truck from Ford. You've got some of the these others starting to come through as well. I think that this pickup truck market, where some of the traditional automakers can utilize economies of scale infrastructure they've already got, etc., 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 and come in at about half the price of some of these. Because I mean, this was supposed to be about hundred thousand, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, either of the the versions, they've taken some deposits. They have returned some, and they'll be returning the rest uh, as they uh, have have just basically shelved this, hmm. and as they apparently focus on electric goods vehicles. I don't really think that's a goer either for them. Well, let's just see. I I, I can't be as. I, I can't predict that one myself, personally. It does say that customers would be able to buy bare B1 and B2 chassis for conversion into a vehicle that best suited their needs uh, as well. So if you do with a crate engine really want a- one, with a crate, yeah, with a <laughs> hell crate engine, etc. Yeah, um, with uh, so to so you can build your own very very square looking vehicle should you need, or of course you you could buy one of these in. Uh, you could buy one of these and and then build something that looks like a, a Cybertruck and and still get one sooner than you probably will do with the Tesla. This isn't four by four or pickup related, but the only other one that sounds like they might be realistic realistic is Fisker. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I suppose so. But that's still further off than Rivian. Yeah, I see. I'm never sure about Fisker. I know that Henrik Fisker isn't to do with them anymore, from memory. Sorry, Karma could then. be wrong. The, the one that Henrik Fisker's to do with. It- yeah, that's Karma, isn't it? Yeah, Karma then. Yeah, okay. Because listening to what he's saying about that, he's aiming for fleet markets as well, mm-hmm. particularly on the pricing. Seems seems to be the way to do it. It's the only way they're going to get enough economy of scale. It sounds sensible. Everything he said. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. We shall see. Yep. But I think that's the end of the depressing first half. It is. It is. So we'll take a couple of minutes. Uh, well, a couple of minutes. We'll take a guilt minute, even. It's a quick break in the show. We're asked for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, 
Uh, we also have a small and yet growing range of merchandise available from our website and Teespring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. Uh, patrons, by the way, before I forget, I will be circulating links to remind you about that tomorrow. I'll also be including your the different levels of discounts you get, depending on what level of patron you are. Obviously, if you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you as always, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you everyone who does. Right, I'm going to take it to some WRC news because Monte Carlo is almost upon us. Are you excited for Monte Carlo? I am incredibly excited for Monte Carlo. I've heard rumours there's snow, so that mm, helps. That's but good for it's the first go with the Rally 1 cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of the fears that people have just imagined, like, oh, the noise isn't going to be very good, it's not going to go very far, I think that's utter nonsense, and we will see that because... You know, it, but it's Monte Carlo as well. It's the first of the season. It's brilliant. I think all three Rally One cars look really, really great. Uh, it's yep. just a shame there are only three of them. It is. Well, on that front, the new head of the FIA, Mohammed Ben Suliyam, has uh, got views on what needs to happen for WRC because three car manufacturers is not the way to have a viable and sustainable future. He wants more manufacturers in there. He wants more teams in there He w- mm-hmm. to help build the excitement, to help get more people watching live, but also for to increase the television audiences, which, because yep. we don't, we don't get it live, but there's only limited number of people watch it because it's, it's been a struggle to get people interested which amazes me when you look at the driving skill and everything that goes on. It's great watching. It is. There is a link to a Dirtfish article, and in that is also a podcast of uh, 27 minutes where they are chatting with him. And it, it's really interesting what he has to say. It's incredibly interesting to hear that he is talking about collaboration, and he's talking about collaboration between WRC, promoters, and the manufacturers together, and getting them together, and getting them to talk to each other, rather than it appear like it's a bit, oh, we are these people, and we say give us money, oh, but we've got these things that we want to bring or say or suggest, mm. well, we don't care. He's not implying that that's exactly what's happened, but he just wants it to be much more inclusive. And he's also, one of the things which is very interesting to see, is saying that there should be a single promoter for WRC full stop and there hasn't been one for years and years and he wants that to change as well Mm -hmm. so uh, I I think this is fantastic for the future of WRC I think and we were discussing this before the before we started recording um, before we started talking about Rollerblind was that he's he's quite an interesting chap and he's interesting because I, I think unlike his predecessor he d- he doesn't come from outside motor racing, no. But he's not been right in the middle of motor racing for decades and decades and decades. And yeah, yeah. this actually is probably a positive when it comes yeah. to change. When it comes to evolving, he can take a slight. He can have a slightly different opinion, much more, and and probably see much more of it in the way that 
that we see it mm. as as a bit of an outsider interested want to know what's going on but not but you know understanding how things and decisions perhaps and announcements hopefully are made are made and how they look from from outside to a spectator to a fan's point of view yeah it, it, you know and he's been very clear as well he's not saying that this is change that should happen in the next year mm. or anything like that but he he do, he believes it needs to happen for the viability of the sport and he wants it to happen quite quickly but he understands there are well he's he's saying that he understands that there are always counter elements to this that you can't just rush things through i i have to say i i take his comments and the way he said them very positively because i think he's he's approached that in a very realistic manner but he's saying we need to fit we need to do better agreed and that yes. can only be good exactly so until ne- next week should be more stuff should be more monte carlo news looking forward to that mm-hmm. lunchtime read this week there are new there are some pretty hefty revisions coming through to the highway code starting on the 29th of january this year they've already been announced the idea is that they're giving a few weeks of of grace and uh, time for awareness to spread of some of these before any new rules are are going to be people are going to be penalized for them etc there's kind of seven key areas there's so the link uh, is to an article from parker's uh, about the 2022 updates it covers kind of seven main areas i don't want to go into it in lots of detail that's why it's a lunchtime read but well, there are a couple just quickly to be aware of uh, first one is drivers no longer have priority at junctions if somebody is already crossing the road as you turn a corner at a junction then you have to stop for them you have to give and generally you have to give way to the to the weaker road user at all points um traffic has to stop for pedestrians waiting to cross pedestrian crossings is another mm-hmm. one rather than has to stop for people who are who have already stepped onto it and by the way traffic uh, means cars horse riders and cyclists very clear on that and pedestrians no because they're stopping oh sorry you mean for the yes, they're taking responsibility for the more vulnerable sorry yes yes, yes. Taking, that's the wording that i really should have used thank you very much the last one of all is about the dutch reach which is far less interesting than you might think but is a very good habit to get into yeah uh, as well that's now advised uh, so opening the vehicle door with the hand furthest away from the door it forces you to look around just check over your shoulder it's a very natural move movement once you get used to it i keep trying to remember to use it i don't manage every single time uh, but it is it is a good habit well worth having a look at that nicely precedes these significant changes and of course every now and again it's good to swat up on his highway code because they do keep making updates to it and for some of us it's been an awfully long time since we passed the driving test or yep. even the second test because we've been trying to update our license and stuff yep please do read that one yeah don't get caught out nope List of the week, Andrew. Yes, and uh, trying to be a bit more positive, uh, honestly, because after the first half that I put together, I thought we really needed it. It's a bit wrist slitty. <laughs> yes, uh, and this time it's from Haggerty and another Anthony Ingram list, 
and it is six ways to make cars your hobby in 2022. And this is a cracking list, and as we're able to get out more this year, fingers crossed. Don't jinx it. Seems to be going that way. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not promising. Equally, more and more of us could have work functions in our back gardens. Let's let's face it. <laughs> okay, but there are six ideas on something you could do to make well get more involved in the motoring world and particularly sort of the ownership of cars side of things alan out of the six i'm not going to say any for me is there one in particular you would like to do this year if you get the opportunity visit a show or museum okay there we go. Yeah, Vista Show. I'm soft, serious FOMO over last week, Vista Sunday Scramble, which I didn't get tickets for because I was just upturned over my eyeballs in December and obviously missed that, uh, missed the announcement. So yes, that was a, that, 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 yes, do a show. It's the thing that's most, the, there's lots of stuff here that's accessible, but the most accessible of all is visit a show or visit a museum. There are some great ones. The museums need some help. They've had some serious, some significant time without without as much revenue as they normally would have. So do that, please. Yeah. And it's good if you've got other friends who are there. It's it's great to to go yeah. and to see people. Honestly, last show I was at, the cars were more important. Uh, no, the other way around. The people were more important than the cars. Freudian slip there, Alan. I think we that all was know the really truth, bad. We, well, we all yeah, know the truth. Do, yeah. I, I love it. It's no, just it was, make I your, wasn't there, so it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's make cars your hobby, and it's like, oh, okay, that means dialing it back a bit then, does it? Um, was what I thought when I read the title, but never mind. Never mind. I did laugh at one of them, and I thought, "You can't, you can't do that. You've got no space." What? Buy another one? No, my yes. my driveway is full. I I need to. There's some stuff in the garage, so there's one one car needs to go back in there. And I do have a completely empty council lockup, but then I don't really want to put any of the cars in it at the minute, which is kind of silly. But never mind. Well, do you want to take us to a fabulous and finally? Fabulous and finally. It's been a while since we've included any of the Matteo Licata's fantastic roads to life YouTube videos. Uh, shamefully long. Shamefully I'm, long. Time, exactly. I feel very shamefaced that it's been so long. Yes. And so you should. Uh, so <laughs> this one uh, is, is one from, it's actually from 26th of December and it's the breathtaking cars of Franco Scaglioni. It's excellent. It's eight minutes of, of Matteo at his finest, accessible, informative, interesting great stuff really really like it so so it's it's cracking a cracking video there and it involves the alpha 33 stradale so that always uh makes me happy yep brilliant stuff. so we have hopefully cheered you all up in the second half now oh, well i do hope so i do hope so uh parish notes before we finish uh, there was a special edition out last Friday. In fact, it was out twice last Friday. It was two special editions out. It was two special editions. One you may have heard one of before. Them, <laughs> yes. So if you got the previous special edition, then if you sort of delete it from your podcast player and re-download it again, you will get the Hyundai i20N, we promise. Okay? Yes. Sorry about that, everyone. Does he sound sorry enough? You should see his face. The <laughs> There'll also be a special edition out this Friday, hopefully with the correct audio. A bit of a change in <laughs> format. It will be available both on the YouTubes. 
and on audio as usual. You will get mostly the same content in both. Mm-hmm. On the YouTube, you might have to look at our faces, but it's a super multimedia, fantastic way of doing it uh, in most decent podcast players uh, that most of you will be using, that most of you do use. Then it supports this multimedia way of doing stuff so that whenever we start talking about something, your podcast player should show you the picture of what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, and it'll change as it as it goes through. So fingers crossed, A, that that works, because we think it could be kind of cool. We've done a couple like that before. But this one, we've tried to refine it a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, it's it's a new idea we've had. This is a proof of concept. We would like your feedback, please. We know it's not perfect. Yeah. We'd like your feedback so that we can so that we can add that to our better next times. It's not for every bit of content, uh, but there are, we think that there are certain things we could discuss in which we could explore it in this manner whether it's uh, with the YouTube or whether it's this enhanced audio mm. audio with the pictures. Mm-hmm. But we, we think there's some, some interesting stuff we could do, uh, which is slightly different than anything we've done before, just to expand the, the type of content that we put out mm. for you guys. So please do have a listen. Do give us feedback. If it's the more along the lines of you're not quite favourable of it, could you just phrase it nicely because we are human beings after all we're not we're more likely to act on it if we don't <laughs> yeah if the first thought that goes through our mind when we read your feedback doesn't doesn't begin with the f and end in you you know that's that's basically <laughs> what we're trying to say here <laughs> be motoring podcast listeners about it folks not the internet in general yeah but that that sums it up if i covered everything andrew's nothing we missed i think so i think we're there awesome Brilliant, everyone. Well, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? A best way is Twitter, as usual, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, as some of you spotted spelt out on a building recently. <laughs> you get everywhere, Alan. Absolutely, absolutely. No, re- no relation. Anyway, we'll be back soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.